0: Chris mentioned last week one of the reasons that we preach through books of the Bible rather than doing topical series is because it forces us to talk about things that we may be tempted to neglect or to skip over, and perhaps unintentionally, we would fail to talk about some of the things that God wants us to talk about that He has put in His Word. And today's message is is just such a message that is actually difficult to talk about. I've entitled my message, The God Who Fights For You. But before I talk about the reality that God fights for His people, we need to wrestle with the reality that God fights against some people. And in today's passage in Exodus chapter 23, God promises Israel that he will go with them and fight for them as they conquer the cities and the countryside that he promised to give them as he delivered them out of Egypt. He says in verse 23 of chapter 23 that he will blot out the people who live in the land of Canaan. That is, he will completely destroy them. That is uncomfortable, to say the least. But we need to talk about it for at least three reasons. First, some of us might accuse God of being unfair. Maybe you or I wouldn't say it out loud, but when you read about God judging or destroying people, you believe that He was wrong to do it. You may or may not call Him a monster, but in your heart you feel like what He's done Is monstrous, and so we need to talk about this. Is that really what God is like? Second, even if you wouldn't fit into that group, you you may not think that God is actually unfair. You may, for whatever reason, look at this and believe that God was just in doing it. The reality is, the rest of the world thinks that God was unfair, that He was wrong to do this, and we are here to proclaim a message of hope and salvation. To people that don't love God. Because they think he's a monster. How can we lead people to love the Lord. When they are horrified by him. So we need to think deeply about this passage. Third. We need to understand. What these things in Exodus. Tell us about Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the same. Yesterday. Today. And forever. Jesus describes himself as the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who does not change. And that means that Jesus' character was the exact same when God told the Israelites that he would blot out the people in Canaan. Jesus was exactly the same then as he was when he hung on the cross. But how can that be? How can God destroy some people and at the same time love us so much that he sent his son to die in our place? In short, how is the conquest of Canaan okay? The way many people answer that question is they vilify the Canaanites. They just say they deserved it. They were especially bad. They were especially wicked people. And this is actually not hard to do. The Bible clearly states that God is judging the Canaanites for their wickedness and their sin. So, for example, I'm going to give you three verses that kind of demonstrate this. Genesis 15-16. Genesis 15-16 says that God waits 400 years before he fulfills the promises to Abraham. And part of the reason is he is being patient with the sin of the Amorites. He says their sin has not come to completion. It is not full yet. And so their time of judgment has not arrived. So as he's promised Abraham incredible blessing, he says the time for that blessing is not now. 400 years from now. The time will come. The Bible does give us horrifying details about the gods that they worship in Canaan. The sins that they are piling up in Genesis 15-16 are sins of gross idolatry. And they practice a gruesome sort of child torture and sacrifice to a demon god named Molech. If you've read the Old Testament, For example, one such passage, Leviticus chapter 20, Leviticus chapter 20 begins with God warning Israel about the evils of worshiping Canaanite gods like Molech. It says, do not let your children pass through the fire. That's not hyperbole. When they worshiped the demon god Molech, they literally burned babies alive. This is not an exaggeration. This is a gross form of child sacrifice and idolatry. And actually this, excuse me, Leviticus 20 continues, the sexual immorality that dominated their culture brought judgment on Canaan. And God clearly says he detested the people who lived in Canaan because of their immorality and their wicked and evil idolatry. And then the last passage that goes along with this, Deuteronomy 9 four through six, Deuteronomy nine, four through six. God tells his people, speaking to his people, to the Israelites, not because of your righteousness, do you possess the land? So he says, I'm driving these people out and giving their land to you, not because you are righteous, but because of the wickedness of these nations. Not because you're righteous. In fact, he ends and he says, you are a stubborn people. The only distinction is when God chooses to judge a people who has not repented. So in one sense, understanding the sin of the Canaanites, their gross idolatry and immorality is important because you can begin to understand that God is just in punishing sin. There comes a time when his patience ends and he will not tolerate evil forever. But the tendency to do that with scripture, to take a warning of God and to apply it to someone else, I think is ultimately foolish. I think it would be foolish for us to just learn a few historical facts about the Canaanites from archaeology or from the scriptures themselves, just so that we feel better about biblical history, because that leaves the Bible unapplied to our present lives, to you and I. Instead, I believe we must recognize that the God who judged the Canaanites is still a holy God, and His judgment will come again. And so for scripture reading, Jill read Second Thessalonians chapter one, which makes this incredibly clear: Jesus is described returning in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The scripture says, and again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. In other words, the past judgment on Canaan should serve as a warning of future judgment we as believers are in the present time caught up in a spiritual war where we wait for the return of Christ. God's people are promised victory through Jesus. But those who reject Jesus face the real prospect of God's judgment. And so the wisest thing to do with the judgment on Canaan is to see it as a warning of God's future judgment which God will bring about through Jesus. And King Jesus is never wrong. So let me ask you are you ready to meet him? I'm not asking this of someone else. I'm asking each of you are you ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes described in fire as a righteous judge, as a conquering king? Have you come to him and confessed your sin? And trusted that he will save you. If you have, then I believe that the instructions and promises that God makes to Israel apply very directly to you, that the things that happen to them happen as an example for us. In fact, the promises that we have in Jesus are even richer and better. And so this morning we will see three things that I believe apply to those who are trusting in the Lord. God wants us to listen. God expects us to be faithful. And God promises that he himself will fight for us. All of those are true for New Testament Christian believers in Jesus. But if you do not recognize that Jesus is coming as a judge. And you are not ready to meet him then let me warn you that you should not see yourself as an Israelite in this passage. Instead, you should be warned that right now, God is being patient with you, but future judgment is coming, and there will come a time when he will punish those who do not love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so with that as a background, and I would encourage each of you to be thinking about where do I fit Within this passage this morning, let's go to our text in the book of Exodus. And first, we will see the condition of God's blessing on his people. The condition of God's blessing is that we listen. Look with me at verses 20 through 22. God is speaking and he says to Israel, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. God promises his angel will guard his people, and he will bring them all the way to the promised land. In other words, they have a divine escort guaranteeing their safety between Egypt and the promised land and all the fullness of God's blessings. But notice, this promise also contains a warning. God says they must pay careful attention and obey because their disobedience, their sin, will bring them under his judgment, even though they are his people. He will not allow his name and his reputation to be tarnished by people who represent him and then live contrary to his character. And I believe that same warning applies to us. We as believers also have the promise of God's presence. And we also have the warning That we must listen carefully and do all that the Lord instructs us to do. And so let me give you a few verses from the New Testament that demonstrate the promises of God that his presence is with us. So for example, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 14. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 14 says this. Those who have heard the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead and believed in Jesus have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That means we have the Spirit of the living God with us, on us, everywhere you go. And when you believe the Holy Spirit, then unites Himself to you and He never leaves you. You have the promise of God's presence with you. And the sealing means that you will remain God's, that you belong to Him. And it's a precious promise of protection... And that will never change. The Holy Spirit is God's presence within you. And that means that God himself fights for you. A moment ago I said we are in the midst of a spiritual war as we wait for Jesus to return. And in the midst of that, the Father continually loves you and works all things together for your good. The Son prays for you as you encounter temptation he is our mediator he is our great high priest as as jesus sees you and i struggling he prays on our behalf for us that we would withstand temptation the spirit ministers to you and i through the word of god He helps you take words from Scripture and recognize that God is speaking to you specifically through them. So it's possible to hear the Word of God. There are many people who have read it, who have listened to preaching, that it never registers on a heart level. But the Holy Spirit will take a verse like... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Holy Spirit will take that scripture and apply it in such a way that I know that's not generally out there for other people. That's for me. That's for Philip Martin. That's for you. If you believe the promises of scripture, if you trust that Jesus is your savior, the Holy Spirit will take verses like that and indeed all of scripture and apply them very specifically to your heart. The Bible says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. It is how we fight temptation. It is how we fight temptations from the world, how we fight our own sinful desires and how we how we resist the devil himself you see that example with jesus as jesus is tempted by the devil and again and again he quotes scripture the sword of the spirit is the word of god and the spirit uses the word of god so that we resist temptation so that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord jesus christ and this growth ultimately is promised that it will be completed you're not going to start on this journey if you have trusted in jesus and then later fail if you have truly believed in Him. God promises that He will complete the work that He started in you. So He's saying to Israel, I will go with you. I will go all the way to the promised land with you. And Jesus says to you, I will go with you. I will go all the way with you. And Philippians 1.6 says this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is, if you have believed on Jesus one day... You will be done warring against sin and temptation. You will never want to sin again. And you will enjoy all of the fullness of God's presence and glory. So even more so than the Israelites who were promised that God's angel would go with them, we can say that we have the power of God with us as we engage in spiritual warfare. But the presence of the Holy Spirit might also bring judgment. So let me remind you, Paul warns against sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians with these words. He says, do you not know that the Spirit of God is in you? And James, writing to the church, says that God jealously guards the Spirit He has made to dwell within us. Hear this warning from James. This is James chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. James says this to believers, not to unbelievers. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If God expected Israel to carefully listen because he sent his angel before them, how much more should we carefully listen to the Word of God? If you have believed the Gospel of Jesus, recognize that this passage from James is talking to you. James is saying, examine your life to see if you are listening to the Word of God and honoring the Spirit who is in you. If God has given you His Spirit, are you then turning... And living like an unbeliever, James says that would describe you as an adulterer or an adulteress because you've come to God for salvation and then said thank you and gone and served your own desires and passions. And I believe this applies not only to individuals, but to the entire church. Do we listen to what God's word says to us? Do we recognize the sacred responsibility that comes with the awesome privilege of God's presence? That God's presence is with us now. Or are you tempted to ignore God's word? Because if we neglect the word of God in our lives, we run the risk of worshiping idols. Notice the next promise and the warning that comes in verses 23 to 26 with me. Read along, with we'll me back in Exodus chapter 23. God says this, starting in verse 23, we see the command for God's blessing is to be faithful. The command for God's blessing is to be faithful. God says, When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, I will blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God and... He will bless your bread and water. And I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I read the passage from James chapter 4 a moment ago. Because it so clearly states that God jealously guards the spirit he's placed in us. I believe it very clearly shows that the same sort of jealousy God had for His name in ancient Israel applies to His people in His church right now. God jealously guards the Spirit that He's placed in us. But for this point, where God says very carefully, we are to be faithful. If we are not faithful, we will not experience the blessings of God. That passage from James also applies because it talks about idolatry within the church. James makes it clear how simple and harmless idolatry can appear. It's as small as something that you want that God has not given you. Paul says covetousness is idolatry. When I think of covetousness, to me it's the spiritual equivalent of chickenpox. It might be bad, but largely it seems harmless. But that's not what God says. He says it's worshiping a gift that he intended to bless us with as God instead of worshiping God. It is replacing God with something good. And James describes it as friendship with the world. That means that there is more to being a Christian than being a good citizen, part of a good community, having a good reputation. That means friendship with the world. If you get along perfectly with non-believers and there are no bumps and no problems, that means that you are not representing God as you should. You are not living as if Jesus comes back at any moment. You are living as a citizen of the world and being unfaithful to your king. And all of the things that we replace God with, that we worship as idols are good things. It might be physical health, it might be possessions, it might be pleasure. All of those are good things. And all of them God provides for His people as they are faithful. But if you place God's gifts in the place of God, you become an idolater. And God will not bless you. And so here's the number one question we should be asking, that I should be asking. How do you know if you've done that? How do you know if you are not being faithful to the Lord? And I think the best way to know it, in part, you can measure what you are doing. How are you faithful to the Lord? How are you listening to his word? How are you faithful at your church, at work, in your home? But I think the easier way to know for certain that something has gone wrong is how do you respond when you do not get your way? Or when you lose something you love? Can you say with Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or do you grumble and complain and doubt God's goodness? Bear in mind, these stern warnings are coming in the context of God's promised blessing. He is saying that He blesses His people. And as he blesses them, they will very likely feel the pull to worship other gods. He promises abundant food. He promises growing families. And in the midst of that blessing, they will face the temptation to worship idols. And I believe it's a warning that we must heed. As he's promised his blessing, you can see His specific kindness in the last few verses from our passage today. So look with me at verses 27 to 33, back in Exodus chapter 23. God says, I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all of your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from, you, from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until, until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Notice the kindness of God's blessing is in his timing. He says he will drive the nations out before them, but he will not do it in a moment. Instead, he will do it gradually. At this point in time, the nation of Israel is small relative to the land God promised to give them. They could not fill it. They could not farm it because numerically they weren't large enough. And so God promised to give them literally more than they could handle. But he says he won't do it all at once. If God had driven out everyone who lived in Canaan before them, they would have lost control of the land. So God times this perfectly, and again, he lovingly warns them against the dangers of idolatry. And I believe, as we think about how this applies in the church, God still works the same way. I believe he works the same way with us individually as believers, as we war against sin in our lives, and... He works the same way strategically in his kingdom, the church, as we spread the good news of Jesus around the world. Let me mention first on an individual basis. When we come to Christ, we are not made perfect in a second. If you know a Christian, you've met a sinner. All of us continue to sin and we will sin until we see the Lord face to face. I think if we were made perfect in a second, we would not be able to love God for all he's done for us. When I came to Christ, I was eight years old. I remember specifically feeling guilty because I had told a lie to my mom and that was the sin that helped me realize that I was a sinner and I needed Jesus, that Jesus died for me and rose from the dead, that his blood covered my sin, and that sin of lying very specifically. Now, as a 35-year-old, almost... That sin seems like small potatoes. It was not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. There are much worse things that I have done since then. And so I understand the depth of my sin as an 8-year-old and also as someone who continues to struggle to walk in obedience to the Lord in greater detail. And as I've seen God grow me in my faith, And as I've seen victory in different areas, and as I've seen and experienced his blessings, I began to appreciate in ways that I never could have as an eight-year-old what that salvation means and is. Because God has in his kindness grown me slowly and gradually so that I learn to depend on him more and more. Because of God's kindness, my personal growth helps me love the Lord. And I believe it's the same with each of us. I believe that's also true at a church-wide level. Jesus has given his church the command not to go in and conquer an earthly kingdom. We don't go in with guns and knives. We don't even advance the kingdom of Christ through politics. But instead, we are to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we can repent and be forgiven for our sins. Jesus has promised to be with us as we go. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says that right as he gives the command to go and spread the good news. And he said that he will do this through his Holy Spirit. So that it's, it's a good thing that he ascended to heaven. Jesus, as the incarnate Son of God, as, as the Son of God who has become fully man, cannot minister to a world of seven billion people if he were physically with us, but the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit is here in Holly, and the Holy Spirit is in China, and the Holy Spirit is in India and Africa, and every place all over the world. The Holy Spirit is with all of God's church, and yet the church has not triumphantly spread the gospel all around the world so that the whole world is now Christian and saved, everybody can say that's obviously not true. God has instead established His kingdom in specific places. And sometimes He has allowed His people to suffer. In fact, very often He has allowed His people to suffer. And in His wisdom, He advances His kingdom in His own time, perfectly, exactly as He should. And as we wait for the return of the Lord, he constantly urges churches to be obedient and faithful. We are tempted to wander just like the Israelites were. And as the church is warned, just like Israel was warned, he assesses, Each church individually. You can read about Jesus doing that in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. His warnings to the church. He says some churches he's just going to close their doors. The way he says that he says I will remove your lampstand. You will no longer represent me. And yet he has promised that he will be with us as we look to him. He is with us now. And his promised presence. Is not a guarantee of blessing. Unless we are faithful. He is a king in every sense of the word. He rightly judges each local church. And if one is unfaithful, he exercises kingly authority over it. King Jesus still wants us to listen. And we need to listen very carefully to his word. We need to know what it means to obey King Jesus at First Baptist Church of Holly. What would he have us do to reach the lost here and around the world? Our obedience should be measurable. So, so Jesus says to proclaim the gospel. That's a measurable task. How often are we communicating the truth that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead? How many people have heard that message and been called to repentance? Now, I, I believe God is the one who makes that call effective. But He has given us the responsibility to pray for our community, to pray for our world, and to spread the good news of Jesus and to invite people to repentance. Are there places in Holly that aren't being reached? Our church has been in our community for over 175 years, somewhere around 179 years now. Are there places in our own community that we have not gone and shared the good news? And we've got to be conscious of the fact that the community is always changing. So we need to be aware of our local church and ask, are we being faithful to the job that Jesus has given us to do as we ask for his presence to bless us? I think it's possible that sometimes we might confuse good works With gospel ministry. We might serve people and give them things that they need. But do we tell them about Jesus and call them to repent? If we don't tell them about Jesus and call them to repent. Then we need to think about how we can do that. Or it's also possible that some have grown tired and stopped serving him altogether. We still need to be faithful. It is tempting in every age for the church to worship the gods of unbelievers. And we as believers and as a whole church need to examine ourselves to see if we are faithful. Do we worship the idols of America? And if you are striving to be faithful, you may wish for fewer enemies. You may wish that the kingdom would advance faster. That we would see more success in our lives and in our church. But we still need to trust God's timing. He is the one in charge of this, and we need to look to him. We are not in the promised land yet. We've not even seen our king yet, but at the right time, Jesus will come. And until then, we need to obey him and be ready. So let me ask you this morning, are you ready? As I began this message, I said some people might be tempted to accuse God of unfairness, both looking at Canaan and looking when Christ comes as a judge. And if that's you, let me urge you in the quietness of this moment to talk to God and to deal with Him. You may need to repent. If you believe God is unfair, you do need to repent. God is just in everything He does. He never sins, and we must love His holiness You may know people who believe God is unfair, so let me urge you to pray for them that God would have mercy on them and lead them to repentance. I believe apart from the work of God, none of us will love the Lord. All of us will accuse Him of unfairness. It takes a miracle to change your heart, so let's be faithful to pray for miraculous repentance in the people we know and love and in our community. And if you believe, that Jesus is somehow different from the God who judged the Canaanites, then let me say very clearly, you need to know Jesus better. Jesus is not honored when we are ashamed of his coming as a righteous judge. When we want to act like Jesus is this loving friend of sinners, but he's not a judge, that does not honor him and his reputation. Let me urge you to know Jesus better through His Word. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so that you know Him better. Read 2 Thessalonians that talks about His coming, and read Revelation chapter 19, where we see our Savior return on a white horse with a sharp sword striking down the nations. That's Jesus. Jesus is described as ruling with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. That's Jesus. Who loved us and gave himself for us. And he does all of this. As he brings his people into the glory of his kingdom. Let me urge you. If you believe God is unfair. To look at Jesus Christ. Look at him honestly. Finally. You may be struggling to be faithful. And you may be discouraged today. It is very easy to lose confidence as we wait for God to act. There are many things that discourage believers. So let me encourage you that God is with you. He is always faithful. The Jesus that stands as a judge of each church in Revelation also says to those who are faithful to remain faithful, that he will bless them. And I often close my messages with a few verses from Jude saying that God is the one who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So let me remind you that he is with you. He is here now. He fights for you. He has never lost a fight, and he never will, and you can trust him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we confess that we do not always love you as we read about you in your word. We ask your forgiveness for for even thinking that we could stand in judgment of you. And we pray that you would help us to know you better. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know your incredible love that expresses itself in just judgment. That we would look forward to your coming like the church in, in Thessalonica did, Lord. I pray that we would love the appearing of Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would help people to look to him. In hope and in faithfulness. To listen to him. And Lord may we be faithful until you come. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.